Welcome to the Insights at ULAR 2020 series, brought to you by the Cytokine Signaling Forum, where authors review their Congress posters and presentations on cytokine signaling and JAK inhibitors. My name is Professor Leonard Calabrese from the Cleveland Clinic. This edition focuses on clinical data on JAK inhibitors, featuring presentations from Professor Maya Buch, Professor Paul Emery, Professor Roy Fleischman, Professor Peter Nash, and Professor Kim Lopper. In the first presentation, Professor Lopper reviews the comparative effectiveness of JAK inhibitors, TNF inhibitors, abatacept, and the IL-6 inhibitors in an international collaboration of registers of rheumatoid arthritis patients coined the jackpot study. Uh, hello, I'm Kim Lopper. Uh, I'm a senior clinical associate at the Geneva University Hospital and a clinical research fellow at the University of Manchester at the Center for Epidemiology versus Arthritis. Um, and I'm going to present you the jackpot study, uh, looking at effectiveness of JAK inhibitors uh, compared to TNF inhibitors, uh, IL-6 inhibitors, and abatacept. Um, so JAK inhibitors have only been recently in the market, uh, particularly in Europe. Um, so the idea of this study was to look at the effectiveness of this uh, drug um, using a collaboration of registers, uh, uh, mostly in Europe, but uh, international. Um, we have at the moment 19 registers um, in our collaboration, and 17 of them uh, were included in presented at the um, what uh, we looked was the effectiveness, uh, mostly the effectiveness of JAK inhibitors uh, and other drugs uh, by looking at the retention of the drugs. So meaning uh, we are looking at what at the duration uh, between the when the drug started to the stop of the drug for any reason. And effectiveness is uh, believed to be a measure both of effectiveness and safety. Uh, and it's uh, reliable in most of the registers. So it's a good measure uh, when we are uh, looking at effectiveness in the observational study. We have a total of 25,521 uh, patients. From them, uh, from, uh, yeah, we had a total of 25,000, a bit more of 25,000 patients, uh, from which uh, a bit more of 6,000 patients with JAK inhibitors. Uh, and the mean age of the population was uh, 55 years old, with a disease duration of 10 years old, um, mostly seropositive and female patients with a moderate disease activity. Uh, patients with JAK inhibitors, but also patients with abatacept and tocizumab tended to be uh, uh, older, with a longer disease duration, and more previous uh, BDMARD and uh, TSDMARD than patients with TNF inhibitors. And patients with JAK inhibitors and um, tocilizumab also were um, patients with JAK inhibitors and tocilizumab had more often uh, um, monotherapy than a patient with abatacept or uh, TNF inhibitors. For the methods, we had um, 19 registers, uh, including the collaboration 17 participated in this particular study, uh, and what we looked at, we compare patients initiating either JAK inhibitors, TNF inhibitors, IL-6 inhibitors, or abatacept. Uh, and in each country of this uh, collaboration study, we took patients only since JAK inhibitors were on the market. So 
we don't we didn't analyze patients that had uh, other treatment before jacinib was well on the market. We looked at crude and uh, adjusted retention um, using a survival analysis, and we adjusted for the um, for the adjusted retention for age, gender, um, disease duration, number of previous treatment, concomitant treatment with CSDMOD and or glucocorticoids, uh, HAC and disease activity, and we stratified by country in year of treatment initiation. So what we found was that when we're looking at crude median retention, uh, the abatacept had a crude retention that was a bit lower than the JAK inhibitor, IL-6 and TNF inhibitors. But when we looked at the adjusted hazard of discontinuation, uh, we did not find any differences between the adjusted hazard of discontinuation of uh, JAK inhibitors, abatacept, uh, IL-6 inhibitors compared to TNF inhibitors. I thought the point estimate of JAK inhibitors tended to be lower um, for the disc, uh, discontinuation than TNF inhibitors, but the confidence interval was wide, so we cannot really have a, a very strong conclusion uh, for that. Um, and what was really surprising is what it's that there was a really, really big heterogeneity between countries. Um, and uh, particularly for JAK inhibitors and IL-6 inhibitors. So we did use a meta-analysis to combine the results with random effect because of that. So um, what we found in conclusion that there was no big differences in retention between uh, all these drugs, which is really reassuring for uh, JAK inhibitors that are really new on the market. Um, took, the point estimate was uh, lower for um, uh, the discontinuation of, of IL-6 inhibitors, and we found really a large variation between countries. Um, however, for the moment, we just looked at retention, and uh, we believe that we need to look at other measure of effectiveness, like uh, CDI activity, uh, and that's the plan for, uh, for the for next analysis. And we will also look, uh, that's one of the major um, uh, um, major study, um, sorry, and we also want to look in our collaboration uh, at the safety of JAK inhibitors, and this is also planned uh, in the really uh, um, next future. The next presentation is from Professor Book, who reviews a subgroup analysis of low disease activity and remission from phase three study of bilgotinib in patients with inadequate response to biologic DMARDs. Hello, um, my name is Maya Butch. I'm professor of rheumatology from the University of Manchester, and I'm pleased on behalf of my co-authors to be able to summarize the results from this poster, a subgroup analysis of low disease activity and remission from a phase three study of filgotinib in patients with an inadequate response to biologic DMARDs. So as we know, um, filgotinib is a selective JAK1 inhibitor. Uh, Finch 2 was a study that focused on our particularly challenging group of patients, those that have failed prior biologic DMARD therapy. Uh, and this poster is a post hoc subgroup analysis uh, that uh, has sought to explore the efficacy of filgotinib um, based on number of prior biologic demand and also previous mechanism of action. 
Uh, and so this is touching upon really clinically relevant areas in our clinical practice when we try and determine which therapies may be more appropriate. Filgotinib, as we know, um, like other JAK inhibitors, interrupts the signaling of multiple cytokines and therefore potentially has a theoretical benefit and hence uh, the rationale for this main Finch 2 study and particularly this sub-analysis. So just to remind ourselves, the uh, original phase uh, 3 Finch 2 study treated just under 450 patients that had had prior biologic drug exposure and patients were randomized to receive either filgotinib in one of two doses, 200 milligrams uh, daily or 100 milligrams uh, versus placebo for 24 weeks and patients continued background conventional synthetic uh, one or two DMARs, um, providing that they've been on stable dose. So in this subgroup analysis, we sought to look at the number of prior biologic DMARs patients had been on, the prior use of TNF inhibitor, and this is partly because this is obviously uh, most commonly biologic, but all um, TNF is not captured in the JAK-STAT signaling pathway that JAK inhibitors are directed towards, and the other group that we were interested in was those that had had prior use of interleukin-6 inhibitors because IL-6 is one of the cytokines that's captured within um, JAK inhibition and JAK1 uh, selective inhibition. So if I just uh, take us to uh, the results, initially looking at the characteristics of, of our patients. Um, so 448 biologic DMAR-treated patients. Patients fell in a high disease activity CRP state. Uh, and among those um, that we were interested in, just under a quarter had had experience with um, at least two biologic DMARs uh, and a quarter with at least three. So this represented quite a refractory cohort. Um, about a third had received previous biologic DMARD with more than one mechanism of action. Um, again, giving us an indication of the nature of the cohort here. And overall, at least over 80% had had lack of efficacy of at least one biologic DMARD and a quarter were intolerant. So this did include mixed inefficacy and intolerance, but quite refractory in terms of the proportions that had had two or three. Uh, prior biologics and also in terms of previously having more than one mechanism effect action drug exposure. So if we look at figure two that's uh, looking at ACR response at week 12 based on prior biologic drug use, this is looking at the two, three different treatment groups, the two different filgotinib doses and the um, background conventional therapy, we can see that treatment with filgotinib 200 or 100 uh, led to nominally significantly higher rates of ACR 20, 50, 70 response in the overall biologic DMARD group that was independent of the number or the mechanism of action. Uh, when we look at um, within multiple biologic DMARDs that's held for ACR 20 and indeed ACR 50, at ACR 20 they're numerically greater, but we see by week 24 also, those high hurdle endpoints continue to improve, not just in the overall population, but also in the quite refractory drug group of those that have been exposed to more than three biologic DMARDs 
and indeed those that had had both prior TNF drug exposure and IL-6 therapy. And so by week 24, the ACR responses in that three uh, biologic exposure group was comparable to other subgroups and the overall population. We also have in this uh, subgroup analysis the disease activity states. So if we look at, at week 24, so if we look at initially um, DAS28 CRP less than 3.2 and CDI low disease activity, again, we're seeing that with filgotinib, um, higher rates are achieved compared to placebo. We're seeing, again, particularly it's with filgotinib 200 milligrams that we're um, seeing nominally significant significantly greater improvements. And again, when we look at remission, CDI remission, and also DAS28 uh, CRP less than 2.6, um, both filgotinib doses were numerically better in, in, in patients that had had prior biologic drug use, including more than three um, biologic drug exposure. But again, the nominal significance was um, particularly being seen in the filgotinib 200 uh, milligram dose. Um, when we look at patients with one or two prior biologic DMARDs, um, for both those outcomes, CDI and DAS28, it was comparable to the overall Finch 2 results uh, over and above placebo. So broadly speaking, to, to summarize in a patient category that proves to be extremely challenging in our clinical practice, treatment with filgotinib um, 200 and 100 milligram day compared to placebo led to higher ACR20 and the higher hurdle endpoints. Um, there was a tendency for the filgotinib 200 milligram dose for it to be nominally significant, particularly when we were looking at the more refractory, um, greater than three uh, biologic drug exposure. Interestingly, we see that this benefit with filgotinib is inclusive of those that have had prior TNF drug exposure and also IL-6. So even with um, prior IL-6 um, failure, there seems to be an additional advantage with JAK1 selective inhib inhibition and filgotinib, um, perhaps alluding to the broader cytokine capture uh, of filgotinib. This is obviously a modest sample size in, in, in this subgroup analysis and is a post hoc analysis, but it certainly gives us some insights that we can draw into and perhaps guide us in our clinical practice when we try and improve the outcomes for patients in this quite refractory subgroup. Thank you. The next presentations all concern the latest data cuts from the select programs. First up is Professor Emery with results at 84 weeks from the SELECT monotherapy study. Hello, I'm Paul Emery uh, from Leeds. I'm Visitor Arthritis Professor of Rheumatology there and Director of the Biomedical Research Centre. I'm pleased to present an abstract from EULA, which is about upatacitinib. Um, monotherapy, the SELECT study, and it's an extension up to week 84. I'd also like to thank my colleagues, particularly Josef Smolin, who was the presenter of this abstract. Essentially, this looked at what happened after the first 14 weeks. The SELECT monotherapy study is being published in The Lancet, and it showed uh, a very effective 
15 and 30 milligram dose of uh, upadacitinib over methotrexate uh, continuation. That was a blinded study. And patients were uh, pre-assigned to go from the methotrexate arm either to 15 or 30 and to continue in their 15 and 30 milligrams. Uh, so we have uh, an 84-week extension. Nearly 600 patients, that's 92% of the original patients, went into the extension and uh, all, all but 20% completed it. So what we have in this long-term extension study is an 84-week follow-up where 80% of the patients who entered completed. Uh, as a generalization, the patients who switched to the 15 and 30 did as well as those who continued on the 15 and 30. And in terms of efficacy, the endpoints were extremely high with high levels of ACR 70, high levels of DAS remission and SDI remission, uneven considerable numbers getting Boolean remission. The study also had the opportunity to see the long-term uh, safety of uh, upadacitinib, and essentially there were no new findings. Uh, there were five MACE uh, occurrences, and there were five uh, VTEs. Four of those were in the uh, 15 milligram group. In terms of herpes zoster, uh, there were some cases, all but one were of just uh, peripheral dermatomes, with one being disseminated in the 30 milligram dose. So what this study showed was that monotherapy upadacetinib at both 15 and 30 milligrams is very effective and the same issues for safety appeared. In fact, the uh, most common adverse event was urinary tract infection. So great advocacy and no new signals. Next, we have Professor Fleischman with results at 72 weeks from the Select Compare study. Hello. I'm Roy Fleischman, a clinical professor of medicine at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas and co-medical director of the Metroplex Clinical Research Center in Dallas. We reported on the long-term safety and efficacy of upadacitinib or adalimumab in patients with rheumatoid arthritis, uh, the 72-week results from the Select-Compare study. In the background, in Select Compare, we looked at patients with rheumatoid arthritis with an inadequate response to methotrexate. Upadacitinib, a JAK1 selective inhibitor, in that trial showed significant improvement in treatment of signs and symptoms compared to placebo and adalimumab up to 48 weeks, which we reported previously and which we've published. The objective of this analysis was to report the safety and efficacy of upadacitinib versus adalimumab up to 72 weeks in patients with RA from the ongoing long-term extension of select compare. So in the methods, patients were randomized to once daily upadacitinib 15 milligrams a day, placebo or adalimumab 40 milligrams every other week, with all patients continuing background methotrexate. The study was double-blind for the first 48 weeks, but open-label after that. Between weeks 15 to 26, patients were rescued either from placebo to upadacitinib, upadacitinib to adalimumab, or adalimumab to upadacitinib if they had less than a 20% improvement in tender and swollen joint counts at weeks 14, 18, or 22. 
and they were also rescued if their clinical disease activity index, the CDI, was greater than 10, which means more than low disease activity at week 26, even if they had had a decrease in tender and swollen joint count of 20% in the preceding uh, 26 weeks. If they were not in low disease activity by CDI, they were risk rescued. All placebo patients who were not rescued uh, previously, before week 26, were switched to upanacinib at week 26. Uh, patients continued panacinib or adalimab in a blinded manner until the last patient completed, completed week 48, and patients received open label treatment thereafter. We evaluated the patients at week 60, 72, and every 12 weeks thereafter. Tribute emergent adverse events per 100 patient years were summarized up to December 26, 2018, and efficacy was analyzed by a randomized group. Uh, so what were the results? The select compare 629 patients were randomized at baseline. Yupa, there were 1,209 patients, of whom 399 non-switched, 159 switched from adalimumab, and 651 switched from placebo. There were 420 patients in the adalimumab group, 168 who were non-switched, and 252 who switched from upanacinidum. 1,403 patients entered the long-term extension of week 48. Uh, there were uh, over 1,000 patients with upanacinidum, of whom 565 switched from placebo, 66 rescued from ABBA, 460 are continuing upanacinidum. There were 312 in uh, adalimumab, 110 rescues from upanacinidum, 202 are continued adalimumab. The community cumulative exposures were almost 1,400 years for upanacinib and over 500 years for adalimumab. Upanacinib and methotrexate were generally well-tolerated assessed by the frequency of adverse events, including serious adverse events. Adverse events leading to discontinuation of the study drug and adverse events of special interest, including serious and opportunist infections, malignancy, adjudicated major cardiac events or venous thrombosis were shown in the abstract, and they were generally similar between the two groups. Uh, the event rates of adverse uh, events of special interest were generally comparable between upanacinib plus methotrexate and adalimia plus methotrexate. Except for herpes zoster, lymphopenia, hepatic disorder, and CPK elevation, which are numerically higher with upanacinib plus methotrexate. At both weeks 60 and 72, significantly greater proportion of patients receiving hepatocinin plus methotrexate achieved HR 20, 50, 70, with p-values uh, uh, less than uh, or equal to 0 0.1, 0. Uh, I'm sorry, 0 0.1, 0 0.001, and 0 0.001 respectively. Similarly, improvements in pain and function was significantly greater in the uh, upanacinib versus the adalimumab group through week 52 with a significant p-value of less than 0.1. So in conclusion, upanacinib plus methotrexate maintains significantly higher levels of clinical response, including remission compared to adalimumab plus methotrexate. Uh, both drugs were effective. It was just numerically more uh, with uh, upanacinib. The safety profile for upanacinib plus methotrexate was consistent with what's been reported previously and with the uh, integrated phase three safety analysis. Thank you.
Professor Book will now review a post hoc analysis of the SELECT early study looking at methotrexate naive patients with RA. Hello, so my name's Maya Butch. I'm a professor of rheumatology at the University of Manchester, and it's a pleasure to be summarizing the results from uh, this poster on Saturday 015 on behalf of my co-authors that focuses on upadacitinib as selective JAK1 inhibitor. Uh, and this is a post hoc analysis from the SELECT early trial that evaluated upadacitinib monotherapy in patients that were methotrexate naive, so with early active rheumatoid. The purpose of this specific analysis, and I'd highlight that this is a post hoc analysis, is that the main, main phase three select early trial, whilst was in an early active cohort, the median disease duration was three years. So in, in contemporary times, not necessarily representative of a truly early cohort, where increasingly we understand um, symptom duration and particularly the three month, three to four month uh, initial time point as a window of opportunity where there can be potentially quantitatively and qualitatively better disease outcomes. So the pretext for this analysis was really to do a sub-analysis from SELECT early to identify patients who were within three months of diagnosis to be uh, more reflective of hopefully what we define and see as our early rheumatoid patients in clinical practice. And so this was to see essentially if upadacitinib monotherapy within that cohort uh, was more effective compared to uh, uh, methotrexate monotherapy. So just to remind, in the um, select early cohort, there were a total of 945 patients recruited. Of those, uh, just under a third, 270 patients uh, fulfilled um, their study treatment commencement within 90 days from their diagnosis. The median duration was 44 days. Um, table one indicates the demographics and the baseline disease characteristics for this uh, subgroup of patients. And, and you can see that um, broadly comparable across the two treatment groups are so the upadacitinib monotherapy and the methotrexate, high disease activity, vast majority, uh, just under 90% were ACPA or rheumatoid factor positive. Uh, and also with a proportion with structural joint damage, again, uh, with the mean sharp score equivalent over both uh, treatment groups. So if we go straight to um, the, the main results, uh, looking at proportion of patients achieving ACR response, this is in figure two, we can see that um, in the upadacitinib monotherapy groups, so both 15 and 30 milligram doses, um, a higher, nominally a higher proportion achieved ACR20 compared to methotrexate. Um, just again, important to highlight with this being a post hoc analysis, these are nominal significant values. Um, so there's the obvious caveat in, in terms of interpretation, but certainly we were seeing uh, nominally significant higher values in the upadacitinib compared to the methotrexate in ACR20 response. And again, with ACR50, um, was achieved by 65 and three quarters of patients achieving with upadacitinib 15 and 30 milligrams compared to um, just under 40% in the methotrexate. So this is also in the high hurdle endpoint. 
when we also look at figure three, which is um, uh, looking at disease activity states, so proportion achieving DAS28 uh, CRP. So when we again look at low disease activity state remission and Boolean remission, we again are seeing upadacitinib monotherapy showing numerically and nominally more significant improvements compared to monotherapy. In Boolean, which is particularly um, challenging to achieve in our patient group, even early patient groups, it was achieved in about a third of patients receiving upadacitinib in each of the dosage groups compared to only 7% in the methotrexate monotherapy. The other aspect in outcomes always that we increasingly focus on our patient reported outcomes. These included functional disability, the HACDI, as well as fatigue. And also we looked at structural progression in this poster. And again, to summarize, um, compared to methotrexate monotherapy, uh, we observed um, greater improvement in the least square means in both uh, HACDI and facet fatigue. Uh, but also from baseline in the modified SHARP score as well, significantly lower in the Ucadacitinib group. There were no clear safety signals out with of what was observed in the main phase uh, three trial of the wider select early group with similar discontinuations across the Ucadacitinib and the methotrexate monotherapy groups. Serious adverse events were comparable. Um, serious infections were, were only observed in the Ucadacitinib group, but otherwise other signals in terms of herpes zoster uh, were comparable and there were no uh, VTEs in this sub-analysis. So to summarize, um, this sub-analysis of the select early group that focused on patients who'd, been, who'd started their treatment within 90 days, so a, a more contemporary early RA cohort demonstrated upacitinib both at the 15 milligram and 30 milligrams as monotherapy to be nominally significantly uh, greater in terms of improvements, both in terms of efficacy, patient reported outcomes, and structural uh, outcomes compared to methotrexate monotherapy. Thank you. The following presentation from Professor Nash and Professor Book focus on sustainability of response with upadacitinib. Thank you. My name is Professor Peter Nash from the Griffith University in uh, um, Brisbane, and I'm going to talk to you about the EULA 2020 poster, Friday 0131. Now, this is a sustainability of response between upadacitinib, the JAK1 inhibitor, and adalimumab among patients with rheumatoid arthritis and prior inadequate response to methotrexate. So this comes from the uh, Select Compare study, which is a very important study because it was head-to-head -head empowered for that with methotrexate background and on top either adalimumab in the normal dose, not crippled by taking methotrexate away, compared with upadacitinib plus methotrexate um, over uh, 6 to 12 months uh, and extension. And the primary treatment goal was sustained clinical remission or low disease activity, um, in America, they use ACR responses in, for the FDA and for uh, Europe, they use DAS28CRP for the EMEA. But either way, part of the study was that those patients who were um, not well-controlled 
at week 14, at week 18, or at week 20, and by well control, they had to have at least a 20% improvement in both swollen joint count and tender joint count. If they hadn't improved from baseline, they were then um, switched to the opposite therapy. If they're on upadacitinib plus methotrexate, they'd go straight to adalimumab. If they're on adalimumab and not being well controlled, they'd go straight to upadacitinib. And also at week 26, um, if patients were not in low disease activity, according to the CDI, now the CDI is important in JAK studies because people claim the response is because the mechanism of JAKs, among other things, is to block AL6. So the ESL and the CRP come down and it's kind of an artificial false reduction. CDI does not include CRP. It's an activity measure which uh, measures all those other elements um, and leave CRP out. So it's a true reduction in inter-low disease activity or emission. So if you weren't in low disease activity, less than 10, at week 26, again, you're switched to active drug. Um, the other one, if you're on UPA to ADA and ADA to UPA. And also at week 26, those patients, sorry, at week 48, the double blind period finished. And those patients who... Um, hadn't, sorry, the week 26, those patients in the week 26 who were actually on placebo, couldn't stay on placebo forever, they were also switched to active drug. But they went from placebo to upadacitinib. And uh, patients who completed the 48-week double-blind period could enter the long-term extension. It goes out to five years. And um, the study was blinded up to week 48. So they assessed clinical remission as measured by CDI and SDI, less than 2.8, less than 3.3. They looked at clinical low disease activity, less than 10 for the CDI, less than 11 for the SDI. And they looked at DAS28 CRP, less than 2.6 is remission, less than 3.2 is low disease activity. And they looked at the first occurrence of a flare um, at week, all the way up to week 72. And they compared the two switch arms um, and they used those measures. Now, the two take-home messages, and we'll talk about the results in a minute, is that you could switch without washout. That's a very common clinical problem. I've got a patient on Adalimumab, they're not doing well. Can I change straight to upadacitinib or JAK inhibitor? Or do I have to wash them out? Do I have to wait a length of time? Is there going to be an efficacy or safety penalty? And the answer is that there is no safety penalty. You can switch without washout. And the same the other way. If you go from UPA to ADA, you don't have to worry about safety. Um, with a switch, you can do it immediately. So, <clears throat> Kaplan Mile was used for sustainability of response, um, and people were then recommenced on their drug to see if you could recapture them if they were to lose response over time. And the bottom line is that um, the there was the numerically higher maintain maintenance of CDI remission the time to CDI remission, um, the time to DAS28 CRP less than 2.6 was um, faster with UPA plus methotrexate versus ADA plus methotrexate, and you had higher rates of patients in uh, remission low disease activity numerically with UPA plus methotrexate versus adalimumab plus methotrexate, but you couldn't do any statistical analysis on those two because it was not powered for that kind of analysis. So um, the take home message really is 
looking at the um, time to remission, looking at the depth of remission, looking at the duration of remission. There was a significantly greater proportion of patients with rheumatoid prior and adequate response to methotrexate receiving UPA plus methotrexate versus ADA plus methotrexate were able to achieve clinical remission or low disease activity across disease activity measures. That remission and low disease activity was sustained throughout week, 50, week 72 in both treatment arms, but in numerically high proportions, retaining response among the UPA treated patients. More than half of the UPA plus methotrexate and ADA plus methotrexate patients who achieved initial CDI remissional low disease activity or DAS 28 CRP remissional low disease activity maintained these responses all the way to the last follow-up visit. Approximately a quarter of the patients who lost these responses were able to recapture them by the 72-week mark. So um, that's two important pieces of information. You can switch without washout. The safety was what you would normally see with both drugs. There was no new signals. It wasn't power for superiority. Uh, at least more than half the patients were able to maintain a good response with um, both switches and uh, um, numerically a little higher with the UPA than the uh, ADA, but um, no safety signal. And the patients who did flare, you could recapture them um, with the reinstitution of therapy. So thank you very much. So this is evaluating um, sustainability of response to upadacitinib as monotherapy or in combination in, a, in patients with rheumatoid and prior inadequate respons response to conventional therapy. And as we know in clinical practice, um, a, a big part of our assessment of how patients do is not just the initial response, but how well this is maintained over a longer term period for what is a chronic disease. And the other question clearly is in terms of the need for methotrexate. We recognize that a proportion need to come off methotrexate. So evaluating sustainability also in the context of monotherapy in combination is relevant. So for this, this post essentially utilized two trials, phase three trials of bupedacitinib in the absence of there being a direct trial that was comparing monotherapy and combination bupedacitinib. So it took select next and select monotherapy. Um, and this is a post hoc analysis. So it's important in terms of our interpretation to bear that in mind. Just to remind ourselves, um, different study designs. Select monotherapy was in rheumatoid patients with uh, prior inadequate response to methotrexate who were then randomized to upadacitinib 15 or 30 milligrams daily or um, methotrexate. So upadacitinib continued monotherapy or methotrexate placebo. And select next, as the name indicates, was in patients with inadequate response to prior conventional therapy Patients were randomized to upadacitinib, again, 15 or 30 milligrams, continuing with the background synthetic DMARD, or then um, uh, continuing with a, 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 a conventional therapy without upadacitinib placebo. And there's an ability for long-term extension at 12 to 14 weeks in these two trials. So the assessments that were um, undertaken were clinical remission and, and low disease activity using CDI and also the DAS28CRP cutoffs. 
And what was looked at here was at the time of first occurrence of remissional low disease activity across the two groups, so the upadacitinib monotherapy and combination therapy, but also then the time points at three, six, and 12 months after that initial occurrence to look at sustainability of response. Um, we'll, I'll go through the results in one of the figures shortly, but also what was used was a Kaplan-Meier to look at um, sustainability and also the predictive ability of time to clinical remission and, and low disease activity. So if I could just direct you to figure two, this is illustrating the proportion of patients um, in CDI remission or low disease activity. Initially, the first occurrence of response in both the upadacitinib monotherapy and the upadacitinib with background therapy. And you can see that through week 84, the percent of uh, patients achieving each of those um, in the two treatment groups was broadly the same. Then what you can see for each of the different uh, disease activity um, uh, cutoffs of CDI and DAS28CRP is at three, six, and 12 months after that first occurrence of response. And again, here we can see that one, there's no notable difference between the two treatment groups, upadacitinib monotherapy or combination. And importantly, that there was a good sustainability of response over those time points up to the 12 month period after first occurrence. If I then take you to figure three, this is demonstrating similar data, but in a Kaplan-Meier format uh, for time to loss of response. And here, um, loss of response is defined as um, losing remissional low disease activity at two consecutive uh, time points or if drug um, had been discontinued. And so here, we, again, we can see that there isn't really a divergence between the two different treatment groups, the monotherapy and the combination, and that the responses were generally sustained across, those, uh, across time and across the two groups. So broadly, two-thirds were achieving uh, and maintaining remission or low disease activity, remission in about quarter and low disease activity in about half. There is also a heat map that illustrates this further. Um, and, and that's in figure four. It's, it's, it's another way of demonstrating again the spread of the disease activity uh, cutoffs and also the sustainability. Interestingly, the time to initial clinical remission and low disease activity, which was broadly again comparable between the two treatment groups, was not a predictor for sustaining the response. Uh, and the last figure, figure five, is focusing again on an important element of when patients do lose response, can we recapture that? And, and what we're seeing that again, across the two different treatment groups, 10 to 20% uh, lost, but then recaptured, uh, and a similar proportion uh, then lost remission or low disease activity and then were, and were unable to. So there is a capability to regain response and in proportion, but clearly uh, not in, in all. So to summarize, um, this is a post hoc analysis using two different phase three trials that allowed us to explore upadacitinib monotherapy versus combination, focusing on maintenance of remission and low disease activity states uh, and prediction. And, and what we find is that essentially more than a quarter and more than a half uh, of patients 
in each of those treatment groups achieve sustained remission and low disease activity. Uh, the time to achieving those initial uh, remission and, and low disease activity time points appeared not to be a predictor, um, but broadly, importantly, sustainability of response seemed to be comparable whether upadacitinib was given as combination or as monotherapy. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this edition of Insights at ULAR 2020. Make sure to subscribe to the CSF podcast channel on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you don't miss out on our other ULAR 2020 content. Subscribe now to listen to condensed daily highlights of the ULAR Congress, in addition to a complete Congress review presented by Professor Rike Alton and Professor Thomas Dorner. If you found this informative, why not listen to our regular podcasts, which include author interviews and monthly reviews of the latest cytokine signaling papers hosted by the CSF chairman, Professor Ian McInnes. You can also visit cytokinesignaling.com for access to a wide range of free educational resources, including monthly slide summaries of the latest papers and accredited CME courses. Thank <laughs> you.